The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. And hello again, everybody. Welcome to Sports Talk New York on WGBB here in Merrick, Long Island, New York. Phil Donahue here, taking it through the first hour on this seventh day of January 2024. We made it through the holidays. We're on the flip side. We've got a new year, folks. Our engineer, Brian Graves, he is across the way with us riding shotgun for us tonight. It's a wintry night. Here in Merrick, uh, we have a fine night of sports talk ahead for you, though. Up first, we'll welcome in just a great ball player, a slugger for many years in Major League Baseball. He's also a former Brooklyn Dodger, and uh, I better mention this because I've been threatened by some Oriole fans. He's also been a Baltimore Oriole. There you go, guys. Jim Gentile will drop by. In the second half, we're happy to have with us the new bench coach of the New York Mets, John Gibbons will speak with us. So just sit back, relax, get a blanket, get comfortable, enjoy Sports Talk New York tonight on GBB. As usual, great people, great stories. Social media. We're out there on Facebook. I'm out there on Facebook. You can go to my page, The Talk of New York Sports. Give it a like. Uh, Show information, sports information, good pictures. Stop by and take a look. You can also follow us on X at Sports Talk New York. Follow me on X at B Donahue, WGBB. And if you miss a show, don't you worry, because they're all out on the website and can be heard anytime at your leisure, so don't you worry. Our first guest, he played in Major League Baseball for the Brooklyn and Los Angeles Dodgers, the Baltimore Orioles, Kansas City Athletics, Houston Astros, and the Cleveland Indians between 1957 and 1966. 1961 may have been the year of Maris and Mantle, but quietly this gentleman was doing great things down in Baltimore. We'll talk to him about this and more as we welcome back to the show Mr. Jim Gentile. Jim, good evening. Hi, Bill. How are you? Just wonderful. Good to have you with us, Jim. Oh, thank you. Well, you, you were signed by the Dodgers as a pitcher originally. What what, what uh, took you off the mound and uh, on to first base? Well, because I couldn't pitch. <laughs> okay, that's I, a good reason. You know, I well, in high school, you know, if you could throw a little bit harder than the average guy, uh, you, you bet you're okay. In my high school coach, uh, I played first and pitched and uh, – he thought I should be a starter. So uh, my senior year, I pitched for Sacred Heart. We had already won the, uh, the AAA championship in San Francisco two years in a row. Uh-huh. And we were going for our third. So I pitched, and uh, I, like I say, I threw a little bit harder. I won 12, lost one game, and ERA at 0.30. And I pitched 75 innings and struck out 134. Man. Not too shabby. And that's something to remember. That yeah. I got that on my show. <laughs> that's a good because one, Jim. after that, when I went to the pros, look out. Yeah. Put the merry men off the infield. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, you signed with Brooklyn 
Didn't you know they had Gil Hodges at first base? No. Okay. I, you know, I'm out in San Francisco, and I, the Coast League was, Pacific Coast League was by thrill. I used to go to see the Seals play, you know, two or three times a week when they were in town. Right. Uh, I knew I knew Joe Spring, and he used to throw to us out at the big wreck. He'd bring his son out, and we'd. He'd throw to his son, and we'd field, and then he'd let us hit. Uh, I shagged for Bobby Brown one night. That wow. paid me $5 a shag. Dr. Bobby Brown, that gentleman? Yeah. Yeah, He's okay. from San Francisco. Yeah. Okay. But uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, baseball was just in my blood, I guess. I uh, I played so much. Uh, in fact, I played too much. I played every Saturday, every Sunday. Went, played, uh, you know, high school and American Legion. And then when I signed with the Dodgers, they, they more or less were pushing me. Like you say, they had Gil Hodges and they were pushing me for pitching because I was left handed. Right. And, uh, I was sitting home, uh, <clears throat> I had signed in the end of May and this was, uh, Sometime in August, they called me up and said a pitcher in Santa Barbara got hurt. They'd like you to go down and get a little, see what pro ball is like. So I went down to, uh, Santa Barbara and we were, and I met him in San Jose. And gee whiz, San Jose, they were called the San Jose Gold Sox. They had <laughs> Dick Petrotti got 80,000. Don Zimmerman, the catcher, got eighty thousand, and Marty Keel got a hundred and twenty-five thousand. Holy mackerel! So, well, up for seven innings, I had a no-hitter, just yeah. throwing a fastball. I mean, I curveball. I didn't know what that was <laughs> or changeup. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so I told the catcher, "Don't bother giving me a sign. Just put the glove where you <laughs> throw." Yeah. I mean, it was ridiculous, but. <clears throat> But this is what they wanted me to do. I figured if I have to pitch, when I get to spring training, they'll they'll teach me right the curveball and stuff. Well, I, I after uh, I was winning the game, I, we were tied, I should say, and Marty Keough hit a line drive to right field, and and right field was a you know the chicken wire, mm-hmm. and my right fielder went back to get it. His foot slipped and went his ankle went underneath this the wire, and, oh. and the ball hit his glove, and the ball rolled about 10 feet away from him. <laughs> the yeah. two runs scored, Marty. And I ended up playing with Marty. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is a yeah. coincidence. Yeah. It is, and he's he's the one who got me the job in Japan. Ah, okay. Yeah, we'll get to that. We'll yeah. get to Japan. Okay. Now, September 24th, 1957, the final game, folks, at the <clears throat> legendary Ebbets Field in Brooklyn. Now, Jim is the starting first baseman for the Brooklyn Dodgers, later replaced, believe it or not, by Pee Wee Reese in the top of the fifth inning. Uh, Reese went to third. Gil Hodges comes over from third to first. Uh, the game's final batter was DeFondi from the Pirates. He hits a ground ball to Don Zimmer at short. Zimmer throws to Hodges, and that's the final out at Ebbets Field. What are your memories from that day, Jim? Well, it, it was quite a thrill for me, you know, but it was a regular game. Yeah. Because I, I, I was just up and down over three years, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. 
but for Hodges and Reese and Campy and Snyder and Perillo, it was, you know, they, <clears throat> excuse me, they have a home and their kids are going to school. They've all played 10 years or better for Brooklyn. And now they got to leave and go to the other coast way down to L.A. Right. They weren't happy about it, believe me. No, I bet. But but I was very happy. I mean, I wasn't happy about it. I just went out and played the game. Uh, uh, I, we took pictures before uh, in spring training of Drysdale and I. I used to drive to spring training every year with Drysdale. Okay. And in his car. And, and so they gave us a pan, and we looked like we were panning for gold. <laughs> And they had a big sign up, L.A. Dodgers. Yeah. You know, you know, I never got so many bad letters in the mail. Yeah. It was unreal. And, they, and I don't blame them. I mean, everybody loved the Brooklyn Dodgers, you right. know. And uh, it gave me my biggest thrill, my first home run in the big leagues. Uh, I hit there in Ebbets Field. The last game, and uh, not the last game, but hot, uh Duke Snyder and I hit the last home runs that out of Ebbets Field for the Brooklyn Dodgers. And as you say, Jim, these guys played their careers at Ebbets Field. People in, in the borough of Brooklyn grew up with the Brooklyn Dodgers. They were an institution. People don't yeah. realize from other parts of the country that this was a, a great, legendary franchise. And like you said, this is only your first game. Or it is your first game, so it doesn't mean much to you. But to the other guys, it, it's uh, a big part of their heart shutting down. But uh, it, it's it's great that you were able to explain that to us and tell us about uh, that that final game. Now, when you go to Baltimore, you were named to the All Star Game in 1960. Let's talk about 1961. You had career highs, 302 batting average, 46 home runs. 141 runs batted in, and we'll revisit the 141 runs batted in in, in a minute. <laughs> and uh, 646 slugging, and as they count today, 1.069 OPS. And, of course, you finished third in the MVP ballot, of course, behind the M&M boys who had the you know legendary year that year. Uh, do you often think back and say, Jim, if it wasn't for those two guys, I'd be the MVP in 1961? Well, you know, it, it would have been a tie. One guy voted for Arroyo, the relief pitcher. Oh, man. For MVP. That's crazy. And that took a, that took a yeah, it took a, a first place vote away from everybody. Yeah. But if they would have, if he you know, but anyway, it, it, it I, I knew I was, nobody was going to get close to him. They were having great years. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Rod, Roger was just, uh, phenomenal that year. And it was the last, the last game he hits it. Right. You know, in the last game at that time, when he circled the bases, that put him at 142 RPIs and made 141. Right. Let, let's get into that right now, Jim. Uh, Jim, in 1961, as I said, 141 RBIs, second to Roger Maris at 142. However, this company called RetroSheet determined that uh, Roger Maris was incorrectly credited with an RBI 
on July 5th, 1961. They say that Maris actually reached base by an error, according to numerous accounts that the, that they found. So tell us, yeah. what, what what did the Orioles do when, when we found out about that, Jim? Well, uh, the guy who started was a sports writer from Chicago. Mm-hmm. He went through every game. Then he gave it to that company that keeps score of everything. They had to send it to the commissioner and everything to see if this is something. And they saw where it was completely an error. And so uh, they decided that uh, Roger only drove in 141 and we were tied. Right. Well, 26, uh, I can't remember if it's 26 or 29 years later, they asked me to come back to Baltimore to throw out a ball, you know. <laughs> right. And, I, and then you go up and you sign autographs in the, uh, the suites, you know, yeah. which is great. Yeah. Sure. So, uh, you get paid, and that's the that's <laughs> we the didn't make seven hundred million a year. No, right. <laughs> but any, yeah. Anyway, it, I go out to the mound, and uh, the, the lady walks me out to the mound, and I said, "You got a ball?" She says, "No," and I said, "Well, I, I turn around, and there's a ball on the mound with the rosin sack sitting on top." So I said, "Can I use that ball?" She said, "No, that's the game ball." Okay. So I turn around and I figure the catcher's gonna have one and there wasn't anybody there but the Baltimore bird standing there. And then I started listening to the announcer and he talked about 1961, uh, this, that, and the other. And Lee McPhail said that if Jim had driven in, uh, led the league in RBIs was worth $5,000. That at that, Lee's son, who was general manager, I believe, at the Time, Tim running out with one of those golf checks for five thousand dollars. Amazing, yeah. So, so folks, it, it, it was a clause or an agreement between Lee McPhail and Jim that if he led the league in RBIs, they'd give him a five thousand dollar bonus. Now, this was determined uh, later on, but the the Orioles made good on it. Given Jim a check yes, they did. for five thousand dollars in two thousand ten. Now th- that's not a bad way to operate a ball club, Jim. That was pretty good. No, it was really nice, and uh, people were writing in. Well, what about the the interest? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think Peter. I was just uh, amazed, you know, uh, about that. You know, Peter Angelo so nice owes you some money, Jim. <laughs> But because uh, I've gone back to Baltimore over the years and done the suite, you know. Right. And uh, it's, it's, they've always treated me real well back there. Uh, I'm surprised that when I go back there, how many people remember me when I walk down the hall. That's I nice. Just, yeah, it is. It yeah. really is. Because I'm out here in Oklahoma, and you better be a OU football lover <laughs> or. <laughs> yeah, with the Sooners. Yeah, that's about yeah. all they got going for them is the Sooners out there. Well, right. it's a beautiful place to live. I live in Edmond, but not, like you say, the main thing they think about is OU. They, right. That football stadium went from 60,000 up to 80,000. That's amazing, isn't that's, it? These college and they, and football And they fill games. it every day. Yeah. Now, now you had a thing in 61, too, uh, Jim, with Grand Slams, and you, you held the record for grand, st- grand slams in a season. 
Uh, yeah, for Tony, I had five. Right, five in in uh, in the season, and it was since surpassed by uh, Don Mattingly and Travis Hafner. But that was the record for a while. And uh, do you do you remember <clears throat> any one Grand Slam uh, more than the others? Oh, you know, I think probably off uh, Bill Reagan. You know, Reagan. The, yeah, the vulture. The vulture. Yeah. <laughs> We were in Detroit, and you know how Detroit in right, in right field, uh, the, by the field, the right fielder could jump up and catch the ball for a way to stand. Mm-hmm. Well, he threw me a, a fastball inside, and I probably hit it on the label, and it just kept going and going. And uh, Al K-Line jumped up to try to catch it, and he didn't. It just went over the fence. The vulture called me every name in the book as I went around <laughs> the faces, you know. And when they hit third and I came on, he was standing there with this. Yeah. I said, yeah. I just said how you threw it. Yeah. And I, other than that, you know. I, I don't know what he's doing these days, Jim, but uh, for a while, uh, recently, up to like uh, two years ago, he was still a pitching coach with the Mets. He, he's had an yeah. amazing career. He sure has. We're, sure we're speaking with Jim Gentile tonight on Sports Talk New York. Uh, when you joined the Dodgers, uh, you were given a nickname, Diamond Jim, of course. And who gave you that nickname, Jim? Uh, Roy Campanella. Like I said, in, in 56, I came up from playing in double-A Fort Worth, and I had to hit 40 home runs there. And Alston never played me. I sat on the bench for almost a month and a half. <laughs> yeah, there were times where he'd say, "Jim, get a bat." I get a bat and get on deck, and then something would happen on the infield or something. He called me back. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I pinched hit was in Chicago, and it was in 1957. Uh, I pinched it against uh, the Chicago Cubs, and it was for Colfax, and I walked until I played the game that I didn't know I was going to play. <laughs> I was sitting in my uh, in my locker, and the cap came over, and he said, Hey, Diamond, you're playing today. I said, No, I just did the screw beanies. And he said, No. He said, he, he changed the lineup. So I started the game, and we were playing the Phillies, and Robin Roberts was pitching. Right. Uh, yeah, and I got on. I, I got safe on an error the first time. I had a line drive at the second baseman. It took a bad hop, and uh, I was safe. I came up in, uh, I guess, the third or fourth inning. It was one to one, and I got three to two to up to Roberts. And I, I stepped out and I just kind of thought in my mind. They said he doesn't like to walk people. You know, right. I'd never faced Roberts before. Well, he threw me a fastball and I, I hit it off the upper deck facing in center field for my first home run. Nice. Yeah, it was nice. But then Hodges, I mean. uh Snyder had to go hit two out. <laughs> yeah, to one up you. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, but I put us ahead, so I don't care. Right, they're not, all nice. Not like bad. after the game. After mm-hmm. the game, uh, we'll get back to the game. And I just thought that after the last game, Mister Campanella has from Florida shipped him this great big bunch of shrimp. We had shrimp and beer after the game. Not bad. Yeah. 
And, this is great. And, and it's not bad to hit your first home run off a Hall of Famer either, Jim. Yeah. And I got to play with him. And when he came to Baltimore, some guy had made a sketching of him in pencil pitching. And Robin signed it and he put down, so you won't forget who you hit your first home run off. My right. first spitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, getting back to the, to the nickname, we, we went to, uh, Japan. Right. And we lost the first two games. They struck out something like 23 Dodgers in two games. And Mr. O'Malley was human. He held a meeting and balled the guys out, you know. And he told them, I'm not fooling when it comes contract time. You're making us look bad. No one else had ever lost over there. And yeah. so next thing I know, he says, hey, I mean, Alston said, I just went over to third, and I went to first, and, and they put Demeter out and left. And we played the whole all the games. I, I ended up leading in home runs, RBIs, and uh, batting average. Yeah, you hit well over there. Yeah, and we come home, and Buzzy Babesi calls me. I'm in at home in San Leandro, and he says, hey, stay in shape. We're going to move Gil to third. We're going to give you a great shot at first. Well. May the Lord pray on that. <laughs> I never. I went through the same thing. Right. Play three in Play three innings and put Locker in, or or then Gil. Gil didn't start playing until maybe the last seven games of the spring. You know that then they're ready to play. You know. Yeah. Right. But I should have known. I should have known. But I had to wait seven years. Yeah. And the big thing is, is when they sold me to Baltimore, it was like selling a used car they sold me on a look-see yeah <laughs> if you like him i'll sell him for 30 days if you like him keep him if you don't send him back and send twenty-five thousand with him yeah what a deal man i've got a letter here i think i mentioned it last time i got a letter here some guy got bought in an auction a typed letter from lee mcphail to buzzy with about six names on it that he could have in the trade. One was Bill LaJoy, which they took, and Willie Miranda. I remember and, those guys, yeah. Yeah, right. Well, LaJoy went and became what? Vice President or something of Detroit or something? Yeah. Big he, League Club. He, he went on to be an executive. Of course, Willie Miranda, yeah. he, he stuck around for a while. Yeah, he was a good shortstop. Yeah. Well... I was there, and I was supposed to, I had to make the Dodgers. And, and down the bottom, he says, what kind of contract should I send Gentile? Yeah. <laughs> I was making 8500 in AAA. That's how Buzzy took care of me. He knew I was upset. But, of course, with the reserve clause, I couldn't do anything. But he treated me real well. I was making 8500 in uh, AA and AAA. And, and here McField sent me a contract for six, and I think I made him an enemy because I wrote back and said, "I'm not going to sign a six, take a twenty-five hundred dollar cut, or uh, try to play for a seventh place club." Sure. <laughs> I, nah, I said that's... I wanted my eighty-five hundred, or otherwise send me back to the Dodgers. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Good thing to do, Jim. Jim Gentile is with us tonight on Sports Talk New York. Now you went to KC. 
Kansas City, for those uh, uninitiated folks out there, uh, the Kansas City Athletics, they also got a guy who was a pretty good ball player, uh, should have got, got more recognition in the Hall of Fame voting. voting. I'm talking about Rocky Calavito. Talk a little bit about Rocky. I was very lucky. I, I room with Rocky. Rocky and I became, in fact, I call him all, he calls me and I call him once or twice a month. Anyway, he, we roomed together. He had a great season there. That's why, uh, but Finley, he didn't have the money. So when someone made an offer at the end of the 64 season, he, he sold Rocky. Now I'm sorry, I can't remember if he went to Cleveland or Detroit. One of them, yeah. One I don't remember either, yeah. Jim. So, so the season opens up in 65, and after about a month, Mantle and I are leading the league in home runs with 10, and he's able to wave me through the league. No one, no one offered for me. In five years, I've hit 156 home runs and nobody wants me. Imagine that. that yeah. That's the good old boy league. All I had to do is make, I've got a baseball digest here and the guy wrote it. He said, all you got to do is say, hey, I want them to, I, I can get 150,000 for him. So please don't say, uh, claim him. And if you got someone to go, I'll let them go through. He said, that's how it is. The good old boy. Yeah. I still got it. I mean, it's just, that's the way it was with the reserve league. Thank God it got taken away and the players got to be persons that could make a good living. Right. Kurt Flood challenged the reserve clause and the, the rest of his history. Now, I, I spoke to a number of guys. Sal Bando is one. Vita Blue was another. Talking about Charlie O., and none of them really, I, I don't like to speak ill of the deceased, but none of them had anything good to say about Charles O. Finley. <clears throat> no, he, it, you know, he got mad at Rocky and I, you know, during the year, he always has everybody out to their, his farm and somewhere in Indiana or somewhere. Well, Rocky said he wasn't going, so he's my roommate. I said, I won't go either. Right. Oh, he had a fit. I got benched. <laughs> Rocky yeah. didn't, but I did. He took it personally, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and but I, I I talked to Rocky, you know, later on in years, and I said, boy, one thing I got to say, Rocky, was wonderful rumor with you. I said, you even took me to church. Yeah. <laughs> he laughed, and, and <laughs> I, he said, well, you know what? When I came to spring training and everything, McGahey came up to me and said, listen, I, I'd like you to room with Gentile and try and keep him in line. <laughs> what a thing to say. <laughs> Didn't take much to keep me in line. <laughs> well, the, the thing is... I just like life. <laughs> this, oh, that's all. This is a little fun and games. Clean, good, clean fun, as they say, Jim. That, Absolutely. Y- you, you always complain that Rocky never left anybody on base for you. Never. I, I always <laughs> said to him, if there's... It just, it really got, but I'll tell you how McGahey didn't like me. We beat McGahey in 50, 56, the 60 league, the America, uh, Texas league against the, the, the Mobile and those over in the Southern. Well, he, he was with Shreveport. We beat him four straight, knocked him crazy. Yeah. And I, I don't know if he held, but I'm playing for him and I'm not, I have to, and like I said, 
I was having behind Rocky. I was having a pretty good year. Twenty-eight mm-hmm. home runs. Uh, here I am. I'm, I'm I'm there. What Finley said. You're there. You and Rocky to knock in runs. Right. And we got they got the bases loaded, playing Cleveland one out, uh, and Sonny Seabert's pitching, and I'm one for three. I think it's a bomb in the eighth. I'm digging in at home plate. I'm getting ready. Seabert's getting ready to wind up, and I'll be a some going, There's a whistle. It blows it. Yeah. The umpire goes time, and we. Tur- I look over my shoulder because the dugouts were so close, and he gives me the wave. Come here. I thought he was going to talk to me. He sends up a pinch hitter for me. Holy moly! Yeah. Oh, yeah, but the boy. worst thing was it was Mark. Uh, <laughs> it was a, Jimenez. It was another left hand hitter. Not good, Jim. <laughs> yeah, Mel McGay, he, folks. There's another name to go down in baseball history. Yeah. <laughs> He, he was one of these guys, he's going to get back at you. I don't care whether they say anything or not, but, uh, him and Ed said a first pitch, one hopper back to the pitcher, pitcher to home to first double play. You could have we done that, play. Jim. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Turn up a left-hander. Yeah, you know, no. I, That's disrespectful. I yeah, I just, uh, he, he, I came in on a bunt the next night in uh, Solomon or something like that, playing for Cleveland. I've never seen him before. I come in, pick up the ball, looked at second, turned to first. Jesus, he was about two steps from first. <laughs> and I fired it over there, but he beat the throw. Then uh, we, uh, Willie Hull got up, broke a bat, and blooped one over first base. Me and the second baseman went after and just barely missed it. And they beat us. Oh, Next morning, I got a $200 fine for lackadaisical play. Oh, yeah. That's a whole nother story, folks. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that another time, Jim. It, it's been a real pleasure. We had a lot of fun. Thanks for uh, taking time out of your Sunday to spend it with us back here in Long Island, New well, York. We wish you all the best, Jim, and we'll keep in touch with you. Okay, Bill. One thing I'd like you to talk about, talk about the reserve clause and all the guys that retired because they couldn't go anywhere i'd like to get somebody that's involved with that i'm gonna i'm gonna keep searching Absolutely. all right jim you take care thank you bill that's take jim care. genteel Bye-bye. ladies and gentlemen up next on sports talk new york we will welcome in the former skipper of the toronto blue jays and the new bench coach of the new york mets john gibbons stay with us folks You're listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back with Sports Talk New York on WGBB here in a wintry Merrick, Long Island, New York. Just want to mention to you before we get to our next guest, July, uh, July, January 23rd of this year is the Hall of Fame election. 
uh, debuting on the writer's ballot are uh, Jose Batista, Adrian Beltre, who has an excellent shot, Bartolo Colon, who has an ex- excellent shot of going to the buffet, Adrian Gonzalez, Matt Holliday, Victor Martinez, Joe Maurer, Brandon Phillips, Jose Reyes, James Shields, Chase, Chase Utley, and David Wright. Keep those guys in mind. And the guys who finished up top close to the balloting last year, Todd Helton had 72.2%. He needs 75. So he may make it this year. Billy Wagner's another guy at 68.1%. Uh, it'll be his ninth year on the ballot. So Billy, uh, if he garners a little more support, will make it this year as well. Then you have guys like Andrew Jones, Gary Sheffield, Beltron, A-Rod, Manny, two steroid guys, and it goes on uh, to, to list the guys with lesser votes. But those are the guys that are front runners right now. So keep in mind, January 23rd, the voting for the Hall of Fame. We'll look forward to that. Well, our next guest, he played for the Mets as a catcher in 84 and 86. He became a coach for the Toronto Blue Jays in 2002, then became manager in 2004. He coached the Royals from 9 to 11 and managed in the minor leagues in 12 before coming back to the Blue Jays as skipper. Currently, he's back with us as bench coach for the New York Mets. I'd like to welcome to Sports Talk New York tonight, John Gibbons. John, good evening. Bill, how are you? Hey, by the way, you, you forget left out that I am not on the Hall of Fame ballot this year. No, yeah, yeah. I, I don't understand why, but we're going to try to rectify that. We're going to have a write-in for you, John. How's that? You, I appreciate that. You, you can you can sit you, you can sit with Pete Rose when he's signing autographs on Main Street up there. We can put you next to Pete. Oh man, hey, Pete. Pete ought to go in, I think. I do, I do, too. I think it's time, and they should they should do a little more investigation about Mr. Shoeless Joe, too, and try to get him in there with the uh, third-highest lifetime batting average of all time. He certainly deserves consideration. I just want to give a shout-out uh, to uh, our friend John Ed Hearn. He is working his way through your audio book. He told me he's enjoying it. He, unfortunately, is going through another challenge in his life, but Ed Hearn wanted me to send his regards out to you. Oh, Eddie. Eddie, one of the best, you know. My old catching partner. Yeah. You know, in uh, such a brief time in New York, obviously, and then in the the minor league, just uh, just a wonderful human being. Yeah, it's been a tough road for him. It really really is, you know. But he's a strong man. I know that. He is, and uh, his thoughts... And our, our thoughts and uh, our prayers are always with Ed, that is for sure. Now, John, who were your baseball heroes when you were a kid? I know you moved around a lot because your dad was in the service. Let us know who you rooted for and who were your heroes when you were a kid. Well, well you know, Bill, my, my mom and dad were both born and raised in Boston, you know, so I guess wow. they, uh, I, I got that blood in me. So I, so I, I like the Red Sox some, uh, but I – uh, the Cincinnati Reds were always my team, and I, you know, I love Johnny Bench, you know. Oh, yeah. I was, uh, and of course, Johnny was the guy, main guy back then, you know. Of course, I like Carlton Fisk, too, you know, cause being, cause I was a catcher. And, uh, uh, yeah, but those were, those were kind of my two teams. You know, I did, uh, I went to the same high school as Jerry Grody, 
down here in San Antonio, Texas. Ah, you know, yeah. uh, so I got to know Jerry a little bit. Um, uh, yeah, so it, uh, I was like all kids. I always, I always wanted, I always uh, rooted for the best players. That's why Johnny Bench was my guy. During that time, John, during that era when I was a kid, it seemed like almost every team had an all-star catcher. As you mentioned, there were there was Bench, there there was uh, Carlton Fisk. Manny Sanguian on Pittsburgh. You, you had Ted Simmons with the Cardinals, Jerry Grody with the Mets. It just went on yeah. and on. And, and uh, there were a great crop of catchers during that era. Well, and, well you know what, Billy? If, with the, if you had a good team. You had to have a good catcher. You know, you they were, they were like the they were like uh, the football teams. You know, if, you're not going to win if you don't have a good quarterback, right? Right. They were they and, were uh, they were the quarterbacks they were the, of the club. Yep. Yep. And then, of course, then you look in the uh, the great years of the Mets. You know, in the '80s, Gary Carter, you know, one of the all-time greats, was was leading that back there. So, yeah, you're not going to win without a good one. That's for sure. I want to ask you. Speaking of the kid, uh, our great friend Gary Carter, what was your first reaction, John, when you heard the Mets acquired Gary Carter? That's got to be a rough one. Well, you know what? Yeah, I mean, we'll put it in a. Uh, you know, I made that team in '84. Mm-hmm. And things things didn't go well. A couple of injuries, and I just didn't play well. That was the bottom line. I was I was I probably was rushed to the big leagues. I, I wasn't ready. Um, and then when they of course they acquired him, you know that winner, it was something they had to do. You know, if you're going to win, you, if you get a chance to get the best player at that position on your team, you, you got to do that. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of a shock when it happened. I can remember when they when they called me and told me it was kind of like okay, there goes my uh, there goes my my chance ever in New York. You know, and in. Part of that was it was a realistic thought, you know. Right. Um, but he he helped put him over the top. There's no question about it. When Gary Gary got over there, and of course he went on to have a uh, you know Hall of Fame, fame careers. Tragic what happened to him too, you know. Yes. Uh, but he was definitely the best in the game in in uh, in his time. Good outlook. Good outlook on that, John. Now, your philosophy of the game, uh, your approach to the game as a manager, as a coach. Uh, what was that? What would you consider your approach? And did any other managers influence that for you? Well, you know what? I, I, I was fortunate to be around some good, some good ones. You know, I really like Davey Johnson. You know, Davey, Davey was the only guy I played for in the big leagues, you know, in my short, more short career there. I, I was a big fan of Davey. Davey, he, he was uh, very confident, you know. He believed in his players. And I, I just like his style, you know. He he, uh, he basically lets you go out and do your job, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he and it wasn't it wasn't too far removed from that that era where you know they they ruled with an iron fist, you know. They get ready and all that, you know, in a heartbeat, right? You know. Uh, and so, and so, and so Davy Davy was kind of one of the first uh, forerunners with the computer and uh, you know all the analytics stuff. Um, but I just like the way he dealt with players, um, you know. I, and, uh, Chuck Killer was my first manager in rookie ball, and then when I got into coaching the med system, he, he was kind of he was a mentor to, to me. And um, and uh, Daryl Johnson, DJ, managed the Red Sox mm-hmm. in '75, right. and they played the my team, the Reds. You know, he he used to, he he was Frank Cash's right hand man in the minor league. You know, on all the boosts Frank wanted to make in the big leagues, you know, he'd go down and watch us play. He kept an apartment down in AAA in Norfolk, and he'd come around. And when I started coaching, he also he'd come around and. To work with the managers and coaches, also, and uh, just uh, just uh, another tremendous baseball guy, and, and uh, right. so I was lucky to be around some real good ones. I really was. That's, that's a, important. 
That's what I was going to mention, John, that Chuck Hiller, I remember him as an infielder with the Mets, with the San Francisco Giants, and, of course, Daryl yeah. Johnson. As you said, good baseball men, and that, that that's what uh, Frank Cashin surrounded him with. And I can see uh, from what uh, Brian Butterfield, one of your coaches with the Blue Jays, had mentioned that you always have the players' backs, so you have uh, your coaches' back. And uh, that's one of the things besides great baseball knowledge that you brought to the game. And I thought that was a, a very nice uh, compliment paid to you by Brian Butterfield. Hey, well, well Butter's one of my men. You know, he, he, <laughs> you know, I, you know, when I look back on it, I've never been around a better coach than Butter. You know, uh, as far as knowledge of the game and uh, organized, just doing everything right. You know, it's really sad he never got a chance to manage in the big leagues, or he hasn't yet. You know, it's a uh, because I think he would have done a tremendous job. But, uh, yeah, we spent some good years. I learned a lot from him. Uh, but one thing, like what he's talking about there, you know, when you're, you're with these guys every day, you know, these are guys in your lifeline, you know. Uh, they're the show. And he, if, you gotta, you got to fight for them. If you want them to fight for you, you got to fight for them, you know. But it goes right. both ways. Uh, and you and you, and you got to have their back, you know. Uh, you, you, you really do. And, and uh, I mean, every now and then you got to pin their ears back. There's no question about it. Uh, that's that's just part of it, but if they know you're not a phony and only you know there's a lot of guys that enter for themselves. They know that they read right through that right away. So, but they they know when you're hey, you got their best interest, interest at heart and you're willing to fight for them, and uh, that goes a long long way. You know you you know analytics is big in the game nowadays, obviously, and uh, but the simple things, loyalty, uh, uh, things like that, and you fight for these guys like we're talking about. That goes a heck of a long way, too. That you can't learn from an iPad, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah, you know, and like I said, though, you know, those things, uh, they go both ways. There's, there's no question about it. You, you know, expect that out of them as well. But, but you know, you, but you treat everybody like a man, like you want to be treated, and things usually work out fine. We are speaking with the new bench coach of the Metropolitans, John Gibbons, tonight on Sports Talk New York. Now, you had success, John, as a minor league skipper. What made you want to venture into coaching after leaving the playing ranks? Well, you know what, Bill? Uh, I, got to, I got to the point, you know, I had had enough experience in the big leagues where I could have kept playing in because I was a catcher. Some, there would always been a job for me, at least a few more years, because I had some experience, right? But, I, you, know, and I, uh, you know, I wanted to have a family. I was married. Uh, and I, I kind of, you know, I sensed the roadblock. You know, I kind of hit that point. I, and I lost my, I had lost an ed, my edge a little bit, you know. Uh -huh. and, uh, and it was getting to that point. Well, I need. I'd always thought, I always thought, saw so many people would hang around the game. I thought too long, you know. And then yeah. uh, it cost him a second career or delayed a second career. But you know, I came. I signed out of high school. I didn't have a degree. I, you know, uh, anything like that. But I'd always thought I might want to coach, right? I probably would have gone into the military. My dad was a 30-year Air Force guy if I hadn't gotten into professional baseball, if that hadn't really taken off. But I was past that now, too, you know. Uh, yeah. And then the Mets called me. Yeah, Mets called me. I, I finished a year in scranton Wilkesbury, Triple AAA with the Phillies. The Mets called Vern Hoshite, who was my catching coach, mine, Ed Hearn, and Gary Carter, and all, all those guys, mm -hmm. was retiring. So they're looking for a roving catching instructor in the Met system. So I jumped on that, you know. Um, That's so here, here he goes. Yeah. yeah. I said, you know, I'm going to, I don't know where this will lead, but, you know, I always had a, had a desire to coach. 
uh, and next thing you know, you know, that's what got me to the big leagues, you know, and and uh, and, uh, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, you know. It, it uh, and the game's been good to me. A lot of people have been good to me. I've gotten more opportunities than a lot of guys have gotten. Um, but it's kind of you know, it's uh, it's you know something I think I was I was good at. You know, uh, obviously there's no doubt you got to have talent to be a good manager and coach. Um, but it. Uh, it's you, it's nice remaining a part of the game in a different role. Although it's you know everybody wants to be a player, everybody wants to have a great career as a player. But that's uh, that, that that doesn't always happen. You know that's really hard to. No, I I can do, believe you know? that, John. <laughs> yeah, I know yeah. that. Uh, after you know ten years of wiffle ball in the street, you don't go any further. <laughs> you know that uh, you better stay in school. <laughs> <laughs> Now you had great success, John, with the replays, and and although it's it's looked at from the guys upstairs, that I believe that really begins from the dugout. But one thing that we miss about about guys like you is the ejections. I mean, you had you had eight in 2016. You were tied with the MLB leader <laughs> for the for the Blue Jays, uh, the great Bobby Cox. Uh, how did you feel about ejections in the ball game? Necessary part, or or how'd you look upon that? Yeah, you know, Bill. Yeah, it's, it's part of the game. You know, uh, yeah. You know, people always ask me, "What, what do, you, do you do that to fire up your team?" I said, "No, that doesn't work. That's phony, right?" You know, m- mine was uh, basically it came, comes back to what we were talking about earlier. You got to fight for your guys. You know, when you uh, and we hey, there's no question. We had, we had some whiners now on our team. We we could whine with the best about the strike zone and things and things like that, uh, but you know our guys were usually right. And they, but you know what happens? They they stick it to you when you do that. Yeah. And so uh, as the, as the manager, you know you, you got you got to put an end to that. You got to you got to fight for these guys. Sometimes you get ejected. So when I every any time I went out there, I was frustrated, or angry, or whatever. I, I was tired of watching it, or you name it. Yeah. But sometimes we were just so, so bad. I said, you know, I'm going to take the rest of the day off. But there was never any. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, never, I never really, it was any, any setups and phony things, you know, I said, you know, and I've had, had many umpires tell me, listen, you guys stink. So, you know, if I, if we gotta be out here an umpire in this game, you're, you ain't going anywhere. You're sitting there watching with us. I thought, dang, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's low, right? Oh, man. <laughs> I suffered, suffered silence with you. Yeah. Well, we're speaking with John Gibbons tonight on Sports Talk New York. Now, Carlos Mendoza, the new manager of the Mets, I, I was one of the fans of Buck Showalter, John. I, I didn't really see the need for a change, but then I also look at the viewpoint where uh, a, a new administration, they want to bring in their own guys. Have you spoken to Carlos yet? Yeah, oh, yeah, many, many times. and I'm a, I'm a big fan, you know. I, I knew who he was. I, I had never met him before. Uh, but, you know, our first conversation – you know, we hit it off right away. You know, you can always tell whether somebody you, you, you really like somebody or not. You know, and even just talking the first time on the phone. And uh, uh, so, I look forward to working with him. You know, he's a he's a sharp dude. There's no doubt about it. You know, he was a bench coach here with the Yanks for a number of years. You, you got you got to be pretty sharp to do that. Right. Um, but you know, uh, yeah, I'm in. It's really just he's going to decide how he what. What he, how he wants to use me as far as info and things like that, and, and uh, um, but I, but I, you know I, I've seen I've seen a lot. I've been around this game a long time, and I'm I'm excited to be back in it. And uh, you know and uh, you know Mendy's one of those guys that 
you know, you, you never hear a bad word about it. You never, everybody, everybody loves him. And, uh, but like, like you were mentioning a while ago about Showalter, you know, I was, uh, when I was in, uh, Toronto and, uh, Alex Anthopoulos left and, and, uh, Paul Beeston left, you know, that's when Shapiro and Ross Atkins came over and they inherited me, you know, but I mean, we were coming off a good year. So they, you know, there's no, really, no, you know, they couldn't, couldn't get rid of me. I guess they could have, but, but, it, but it, it just showed me after a couple of years, that uh, a new general manager, a new front office, they should they should really should have their own guy, you know, because you got to have that. It's got to be that kind of relationship, and it's got to, uh, uh, you know, sometimes when when anytime there's a holdover, there's got, a lot of times there's some kind of tension there, um, gotcha. especially if that mm-hmm. the other person was tight with the guy, you know, the guy that left, you know, you know how that works. But, yeah. So I, I think that I think it, it doesn't always happen, but I think if you want the best setup. New new front office comes in to get your own manager. No question in my mind. Have you spoken to any of the ball players, John? No, I haven't spoken to any of the players. You know, directly just some, just the coaching staff. Uh, you know, I get I plenty of time to get to know them down there, and uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Heck, we're not too far off from that spring training now. No, thirty thirty uh, eight. No, thirty seven. Today was thirty seven. Thirty-seven more Wait, days you, to go to pitches and catches. I'm not counting them. Oh, <laughs> no. well, you, hey, are you getting some of that snow up there, man? Looks like you guys. Oh, no, Long good. Island's good, John. Long Island's good. We we only got some rain and we're pretty dry. But oh. upstate in in Westchester and the Hudson Valley, they're taking it on the chin up there. That's for sure. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, lucky you then, I guess. Yeah, City Field is dry tonight, so uh, all Met fans can be uh, rest rest easy in that in that call from the weather. Now, now, what about the off season moves, John? A- anything that you can tell us? What What do you think about how they're doing? Because a lot of guys are impatient. They want Steve to go to go out there and get Otani. You know, get get all the big names, and that's going to put us over the top. But we, we proved in the past, even even back in in the eighties, doesn't work. Uh, you feel they're making the right moves? Yeah, I like the moves he's making. You know, that, that's that's the thing about uh, you know being being on the coaching staff. You know, our job is to get the most out of you know the players they acquire. You know, right? But, but you look, you know, just just recently, you know, you know, Manias, Bader, they they signed right. Severino. Yeah, so there's starting to get a number of pitchers. There's going to be some good competition. There's, in the, there's, got, there's some good arms there. Uh, and, yeah, things are starting to fall in place. But, you know, when you talk about, you know, like Otani's and those guys, you know, our, uh, you know, we tried to get those guys, you know, but they got in, in the, you know, but they chose to go somewhere else. You know? Right. They so want to go where they want to go. Yeah. Effort. Right. Yeah. And, and, uh, but but like you said, I mean, you know, your star players they do help, but it, it doesn't it doesn't guarantee anything. No, you know, you still need a good you still need good uh, twenty six good ones. You know, I remember the days of Vince Coleman, Brett Saberhagen, Bobby Bonilla, Eddie Murray, and that team stunk. They were, <laughs> they were terrible. And they maybe had too many superstars. Yeah, you know? I tell you what, you know, be. you know, but it's still it's got to be a team. You know, it can't be individuals. You you can have. A, it's like you look at that '86 team. You know, it was it was a crazy bunch. You know, the mid '80s teams, and but they were a team, man. When they they showed up to play every night, man, to beat you, you know, and and, uh, uh, and they fought they fought each other, they fought other teams, but thank God they were a team. They had some you know, great fights what, that year, John. Oh, some tremendous fights that year. <laughs> 
There, there was even in the clubhouse. There, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that too. Uh, I always remember the fight in Cincinnati when uh, Eric Davis comes into Ray Knight a little, yes. little, little too hard, and Ray Ray hauls off and one twos him right in the face. <laughs> that, that was a, that was a rough one. Yeah. Had to Dave, well, Dave, well, Ray, Ray was a gold glove club. Yeah, gold yeah. Gold Eric didn't know that, though. <laughs> that was yeah. the game where Davey Johnson ended up uh, flip-flopping Roger and Jesse in right field. Yeah. If there was a left-handed right. batter, he'd bring in Jesse. Then he'd, he'd move Roger out to right field and uh, vice That's versa. Right. And it worked out great. We won that game. That's right. Hey, let me tell you something. Uh, Roger and Jesse, two of the best athletes you'll ever see. So you put them... Like you could you could put that in them anywhere on the field. Yeah. So it was. Uh, but yeah, you know, Davey was creative, man. He was. Yeah, he he uh, he was one of the first ones with the computer. But like as you say, and as you picked up in your managerial style, John, he knew how to dealt with deal with the players, had their backs for sure, and and succeeded in that way. Right. Yeah. That's uh, and you know that may be the most important thing. How did things initiate with you and the Mets, John? You know, it's funny. It, it uh, you when I when I when I saw they first hired, you know, Mendy. Uh, you know, the first thing came to my mind. It's just, you know, his first year doing it in New York. Maybe they'll hire a vet, veteran guy for the bench coach. And you know, I've been wanting to get back in the game. You know, but that was it. You know, it was just a passing thought. And then. Uh, DeMarlo Hale, who was my bench coach my, my last years in Toronto there, called me one day and said, uh, you know, he, he was talking to Carlos, and uh, could he pass my number on to him? I said, yeah, I'd love to talk to him, you know. Great. And, uh, so, that, and so, so, so he called, and that's how, that's how it started, you know. But I, it, I, did, I did think, well, maybe that, you know, I'd always, for the longest time, you know, I was, I was in Toronto quite a bit, and, uh, you know, a number of years after I left the Mets. But I always, you know, always had a desire. Maybe someday I'll get back with the match, you know, because that was my original team. Right. I spent twenty years there, you know, and, and uh, sure enough, here I am. Like it or not, here I am. <laughs> there's, there's nobody I know that I've heard from on social media or anywhere, John, who doesn't like that hire. Uh, everybody was in favor of it. It's, it's great to have you back in New York. I just want to know before we leave. All these guys have walk-up music now. You come in. You have a walk-up song. You you go to pitch. You have a warm-up song. What would be your walk-up music today if you were playing? Oh gosh, you, you know what? When uh, they actually when I was in Toronto managing, you know, anytime I go to the mound, you know, of course I don't need one now, but they would play. Uh, it's one of my all-time favorite songs, but Leonard Skinner, "Simple Man." Yeah, yeah that's I think, I think that best disguised me, man. Just a simple man. You, you know uh, who used to use that one? Uh, John was Jacob Degrom. Did he? Yeah, that was his when he'd be warming up before the game. Skinner. Uh, okay, guys, that's good to know. Okay. Yeah. I that, no wonder I like you guys so much. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Well, I tell you, John, it's been an honor and a pleasure. We had a lot of fun tonight. Thanks for being with us. You took the time out of your Sunday night to spend it with us back here on the island. We're glad you're back, and we wish you the best of luck this season. Billy, I appreciate it, man. Look forward to seeing you. Will do. I'll talk to you soon, John. Thank you. John Gibbons, folks. That'll do it for me tonight on Sports Talk New York. I'd like to thank my guests, Jim Gentile and John Gibbons, my engineer, Brian Graves, and, of course, you guys for joining us. All the best for all of us in 2024. Be safe. Be well. Bill Donahue, 
Wishing you a good evening, folks. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.